Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing? Doing great tonight, Joe. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Been enjoying a, a nice long weekend, and uh, it seems the return of summer, or I, the beginning of summer. I don't know what is going on this week. It, it, it was nice of summer to finally show up, huh? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, I had a 30-year flashback looking at the uh, the five-day weather forecast to when I was like a high school football player and how much I hated when it got hot in September, you know, because it's like it's okay when you're in double sessions in camp and stuff because you expect that. But, man, there was nothing worse than sitting in class like seven, yeah. yeah. you know, and just being like, dude, it's 87 degrees out. We're going to go out and do football today. Like, oh, so. So I feel for the I feel for all the uh, the players in the state this week that, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be hotter maybe than it was all through camp. Yeah, uh, all through camp, but, uh, all, all through actual summer. I mean, I was right. I, I, I wore a, I wore my jacket last week after thir- the Thursdays and Friday, Thursday and Fridays games. You know, I'm starting to think about fall things already, you know, like like right fall beverages and and you know maybe getting out the halloween decorations i'm not i'm not going back to summer now come on i know i know well it'll it won't last long i i don't think no we'll take one last breath of summer but uh it's gonna be hot this week of course uh you can send us questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com or send us a weather report if you want to as well if you're an amateur meteorologist or something yeah, you could do that. Hey, your, your guess is going to be as good as theirs. Yeah, exactly. So. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at, at NHHS Sports. And you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. Although, as I'm sure you're aware, it's not actually Tuesday. It is Wednesday this week. We are a day late uh, because of the holiday. So don't, don't panic that uh, you, know, you think it's Tuesday. It is Wednesday today as you're listening to this. So. But the rest of the year, uh, we will be on Tuesdays. Uh, you can also find the podcast on Spotify and Odyssey. And also, uh, we are still looking for sponsors for the podcast. Uh, so if you're a fan of the show and know someone who would like to promote their business on the podcast, or maybe you have a business that you would like to promote, uh, please get in touch by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. All right, as we uh, as we said last week, uh, this was going to be the beginning of our uh, our player of the week and team of the week uh, segments. Uh, now that we actually have some games to talk about, uh, so I don't. Would, would you like to go first, or or do you want me to go first with your player of the week? No, I'll go first. Are we going players first? Yeah, let's do players first. All right. Well, so I I had to I had to kind of go two and a half hours north to find my player of the. <laughs> of the week, but I think it's a good one. You know, we don't, we don't get to talk as much sometimes about some of the, the teams from up North, unless they, you know, they're down here, you know, a lot of division two teams, you know, if they're playing Milford or Sauhegan or something, we get a better look just because you and I are geographically located um, a little bit more South, but I I was really impressed. I, I, uh, uh, the performance of Davin Bailey um, from, um, from Kent up in Conway, um, you know, aside from a big win this weekend, um, you know, you don't usually see first and foremost, what struck me was 15 tackles from the safety position. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. we, we always joke around and say, wow, if your safety's leading your team in tackles, maybe you're not having too great of a day. Um, but again, in a, in a, in a tight victory against a good team, 
15 tackles. Uh, he had a pick on defense that he was able to return for for uh, 40 yards. And on the other side of the ball, he caught five passes for 105 yards. Uh, two of those, he was tackled inside the five-yard line, so just short of being, uh, you know, ha- also having two touchdowns on the stat wow. line. So um, I thought that was pretty significant. Uh, Gavin's a junior, um, and it was a it was a big, um, you know, kind of first, you know, week one win. Yeah. Um, for, and and certainly that type of performance, uh, you know, obviously made the difference. I would say. Yeah, that was a what a fourteen seven win where they I think had a I don't know if it was a goal line standard, but it was a late stop of Guilford Belmont. Uh, yes. As you know, as as Guilford uh, is going in to try to tie the game. So yeah, that's a, you know, Guilford a team that was undefeated last year. You know, as we talked about last week, they look a lot different this year, but still a big win for Kennett. You know, to start one and zero. Yeah, and that's a that's a great performance on both sides of the ball. Yeah, and obviously Guilford still a pretty good football team because yeah. we know Kenneth's a good football team. I, I saw Kenneth live last year, um, maybe twice, uh, at least once. And, um, you know, so again, we, we knew that Guilford had lost some, uh, some key personnel, but, uh, obviously such a tight game. Um, they're obviously still a good football team too. So quality win for Kenneth and certainly a huge performance for, uh, for, for Davin Bailey. So that's my guy. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stay a little bit closer to uh, to Southern New Hampshire for my player this week. It's actually from uh, the game I saw Thursday night, Pinkerton's uh, oh, now a 34-21 win over Wyndham. And uh, my player from that game is going to be uh, Caden Michaud, yep. a senior uh, running back, defensive back for the Astros, kickoff returner as well. Uh, he had a game-high 104 yards rushing on 15 carries, also had a rushing touchdown. Uh, he came up with a, uh, a fumble recovery on uh, Wyndham's first drive of the game. Um, I do not. I don't have you know tackles or anything like that for him. But he was in on a bunch of plays, uh, both you know in the run game and in the pass game. Uh, he also had a key kickoff return for a touchdown after uh, Wyndham had made a comeback and gotten within uh, six points, five or six points there in the in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Pinkerton had put out its hands team because Wyndham had onside kicked on the previous kickoff and got it back. So they put the hands team out there. Uh, so basically, you know, they got nine guys up and two guys back. And uh, Misha was uh, able to get the kickoff return at 92 yards. Uh, he got a huge block uh, at the end of the run from uh, from Ben Walters. Yeah, I've got to make sure to mention that because he, it, you know, it was one of those ones. It was like he probably maybe could have gotten in without that block but it was one of those like nope now he's gone um you know and then what what made the kickoff even more um i guess interesting was that right before it after Wyndham's touchdown i'm i'm standing on the sideline next to the the Pinkerton bench and i can hear somebody yelling and i turn and look and there's an assistant coach uh just giving it to to Misho about something i'm not entirely sure what um, but he was just laying into him, um, do your job, that kind of stuff. Yep. And um, I wouldn't normally mention something like that, except for the fact that, of course, and then Misha goes right back out and returns that kickoff, Yeah. Uh, you know, immediately after. And I, I, like I said, I wouldn't mention something like that, except for the fact that I thought this was, you know, just speaks to his character is that we asked him about that after the game just to see what he would say. And he owned it. 
he he came out and said, "I you know I'm a senior, I'm a captain. I wasn't doing my job. I wasn't holding up my end of the bargain, uh, and I deserved that." And I just I like how many times do you hear that from a kid? Um, and then on top of that, he also played trainer for a little bit as well. There was a play where, you know, he was defending a Wyndham receiver. And the guy went down uh, with a cramp in his calf. And, and while they were waiting for the trainer to come out, Misha went over and, and was helping the kid stretch his calf out as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, he did a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, just to, and, and like I said, a tremendous performance. And, and just, again, you, you see the kid's character, uh, you know, and, and what he said and did uh, that night. So, yeah, congrats I, to him and congrats to Pinkerton. I thought that was a cool little story. I actually, I didn't realize that's the sequence of events that happened. And I, <laughs> I, I read your, I read your article uh, that you have on your website and kind of talking about how, you know, he was getting chewed out for, you know, missing a responsibility on defense or something. And uh, the next thing you know, okay, he runs out there, you know, they got the hands team out there and, and Wyndham, by the way, uh, has historically specialized in onside kicks. Yeah. Right. They, they, they've done that since going way back to when, Coach Byrne was a defensive coordinator over there under Bill Raycraft. Um, you used to have to get ready for it. I mean, I remember we had a segment of practice during the week where we just had pods that were working on different types of onside kick that they would execute. Wyndham, that being Wyndham. But, yeah, so Pinkerton knows it. They throw out the hands team. They boom it deep instead, and he goes, what did you say, 92 Nin- yards? 92 yards, yeah. Yeah, that's a response and a response. <laughs> you, you know Absolutely. what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, yeah. In just more, a res- yeah more ways than yeah. one. A character response and an athletic response. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, who was your Pinkerton, uh, by the way, who had all three running backs over ninety yards? Ninety yards. Yeah, that wasn't. They had three hundred and thirty-seven as a team. Uh, yeah. Three guys with over over ninety. Well, yeah. We'll, we'll uh, we're definitely going to talk more about that game because there was a lot going on in that one. Uh, yeah. Who was uh, who did you have for your team of the week? Oh, Joe, this was a tough one. Um, <laughs> it was. Because there was a game you and I were at that we'll probably talk about a little later that you could have easily said um, there was a there was a team of the week coming out of that one for me. But I, you know, I went with Goffstown. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, kind of snapped an eleven game losing streak that went all the way back to it might have been just before the playoffs in 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 twenty twenty one. Twenty one, yeah, yeah. Um, and so for them to go out and, and not only not only did they snap that that losing streak, but they did it, you know, to do it on week one is a huge deal, right. In terms of just getting that monkey off your back and getting out there and, and, and feeling good about all the work that you put in and all the, you know, the doubt and kind of, you know, all those emotions that you have after a season where you didn't win, but it's also on the night where they open up their brand new facility, turf field, new press box lights. You're welcoming in a big city school like South, um, I, I just I, I, I think that's I think that's a great, great thing. You know, nobody anywhere ever wants to see a New Hampshire football team go. Oh, and whatever. Right. Uh, it's just such a hard thing to endure because of all the work that you put in as coaches and as kids. And for those kids to come out and play the way that they did in that atmosphere and that environment on that particular night. Um, like I said, tough one, because there were there were two other teams probably that you could have easily maybe three that I could have easily gone sure. with. but. I've got to give it to Goffstown because I'm sure that just felt unbelievably liberating to to win that game on week one on their home field. All right. Well, I'm going to go with uh, with one of the with the team I think you're alluding to there. Yes, uh, it was the game that yeah, like you said, we were both at on Saturday. 
so my my team of the week is going to be uh, John Stark, who uh, probably I mean. I don't, I don't want to go too far overboard here, but I might say that might be one of the, the top three wins in program history there. Um, yeah. If not, it's up there. I mean, I know they had a I – mean, maybe maybe let's say top five because I know there was one year that they uh, they were very good, and I believe they beat Plymouth that year. Um, or if not, it was a very close game. But And I know in the past they, you know, they've had a couple wins over – Sauhegan back in the day or had a win against Sauhegan back in the day that was when when the Sabres were going to championship games yeah they beat Sauhegan the last the last uh game of the year back in like 05 or 06 it was 06 I think it was my first year doing football up here yeah and I remember coach Raycraft um Bill was the coach back then and you know it kind of it kind of created a, a an interesting ripple effect in that division that year uh, in terms of seeding and stuff, right. it was a huge win right. for the program. But yeah, this is pretty close. I mean, again, week one, week one playing a, a Milford team that I don't think they've ever beaten um, before. This. I don't think so either. Yeah. They're they're down twenty to six at halftime. Not just down twenty to six, but they had had so many things not go their way. I think what they they had a, a field goal on the opening drive go off an upright. Yep. Uh, they had three turnovers, one of which was returned. Uh, you know, 40 yards for a touchdown by Milford. Yeah. Big man touchdown, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lineman, uh, Braden Mellon. I think if I'm remembering correctly, returned that for a touchdown, um, you know, and then Milford comes out on the opening drive in the second half, goes right down, gets a great kickoff return to midfield, goes right down the field, scores. It's 27 to six. And then the next thing you know, it's all John Stark from there. Uh, yeah. And and really that Milford drive felt like a, Backbreaking it drive. It, felt it, was, that, it was like a methodical, yeah. pounded out, you know, typical what you would call a Milford drive, right? And and I remember kind of looking at you, and I was there with uh, Jim O'Rourke and being like, "Ooh, that might be the end of it." <laughs> no, Thank they, God I'm not coaching Stark <laughs> because they they didn't feel like that was the end of it. Well, they they went so they they switched up their offense uh, yes. at halftime. They went from um, I don't know exactly what you would call what they were running in the first half, but they went to uh, the single wing in the second half, which is what I saw them in last year when I saw them. And um, Joey Dykstra just was was and Joey Dykstra and Donnie White were running all over the field on Milford. Yeah. Uh, had a very tough time stopping them. Um, yeah, it was almost like they bludgeoned they bludgeoned Milford sure, to death yeah. in the first half with that with the double wing, right? Which is a very physical offense to defend. So I don't know whether they they wore Milford out or their Milford just got frustrated. It, it wasn't a super clean game in terms of penalties, oh, right? No, there was some no, things no. that were kind of icky on both sides there, but uh, but yeah, I mean, talk about perseverance and heart. Yeah, so that was a that's just a, yeah a huge win for for Stark and for that program, coming back to win uh you know thirty to twenty seven, um you know and then they have a big game now coming up on Saturday against Hanover, right? Yeah, also important to note there, Joe. I, I mean they they really had a ch- Milford had a chance in the final minute and twenty, I think. You're right. right? Yeah, Stark yeah. Stark had a they were like trying a to fourth run and twenty. Yeah, you know, a penalty hurt them. They ended up with like a fourth and nineteen, a fourth and twenty, or something. You know, deep not not deep in their own territory, but maybe kind of around their own thirty, thirty-five yard line. Punted it. Um, and the Milford punt returner mishandled the the punt. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm Stark not sure there. what happened on that because the ball looked like. I mean, Stark was getting ready to down it, and then he tried to grab it and take off, and it, you know. Yeah, I think he just. I think it was just like a mental error. You know, you kind yeah. of forget sometimes that. Yeah, if you touch that, it becomes live. Trying to make a play, and and really, it might have been better off just letting the offense take over from there. Yeah, you know, not to say that Milford would have, would have, could have. But certainly they had a chance with over a minute left and, you know, a pretty, pretty talented team. Um, but, yeah, so very, very, uh, very good game all around. Well, let's uh, let's move over to uh, talk, you know, some talk, some Division One football. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of interesting games and scores out there. You know, you talked about Gosstown ending its losing streak there against Nashua South, uh, that Wyndham Pinkerton game. Um you know, was was one of those. It, it had actually the feel to it of last year's game, where you know Pinkerton was also up at halftime, and then Wyndham, you know, got its way back in, got a little bit closer yeah. in that game. But but it had the same feeling once you know before that kickoff return. Um, you know, Londonderry, you know, looked like it hasn't missed a beat, getting a big win over Concord. Alvern goes and puts running time on Manchester Central Saturday afternoons. Huge win for them. Uh, actually, you know, given that you know they won their last game the end of last year, that's back-to-back wins for the Broncos. Yep. Um, huge for them putting up 45 points. You know, and then maybe the two teams, two of the teams that we thought were, were favorites going in, Bedford and, and Portsmouth Oyster River, both getting huge wins uh, in terms of margin there. Yeah, and, I, you know, I, I was able to watch a few of those games thanks to some of the streaming um, elements around the state, right? I mean, I saw the... Uh, I saw uh, the Alvern victory over Central. You know, and it's funny, I I just, I couldn't put my finger on it, but there was something that was out of sync about Central's defense. It, it, I don't know whether it was just, you know, some of the inside linebackers were, were not getting their keys read right or something, but a lot of times it looked like, you know, Central started out being in position to make plays against Alvern and they were, they were just sort of running themselves out of position at times. Um, So that might just be a young team and sort of, you know, first name kind of mistakes and stuff that hopefully coach Ray can take a look at that film and show those guys, Hey, look, we were there, but we were, you know, they were sort of running by um, Alvern ball carriers at different times. That was sort of my observation because central didn't look too like, like it didn't look like the score was that out of whack. Right. It looked like if central kind of cleaned up a few things on defense, they, they would have, you know, it, it would have at least been a closer game. If not, they would have had a chance in that one, but congratulations to Alvern. Um, it's a big win for them. Um, and I did get a chance to see Londonderry conquered. Um, I think Friday night lights, New Hampshire did that as well. Yes. Yep. Um, and I'll tell you what, they did both those games. So thanks for those guys to, for being at those. (laughs) Yeah, they do a great job. Um, and, and I saw, um, you know, I think I said this last year early in the season and I'm going to say it again, as much as Londonderry's offensive, weapons and threats and just the offensive unit gets time uh in the media you know being spoken about and, and praised their defensive front there are three down linemen and two i don't know whether they consider them defensive ends or outside linebackers but they are just incredible um i mean concord is a pretty good running football team they've got eli bohema back there um they have a decent size offensive line although i think they've had to replace a few kids but Londonderry's front three in particular, their down defensive line was just dominating. Um, I mean, in a way that I haven't seen for a while. I mean, they were just that good. 
um, you know, whether it was making sacks on pass plays or just shedding through double teams and running uh, Bohema and his teammates down, you know, Concord really had trouble getting anything going. I think the only thing Concord really could do was kind of dive straight at them and hope to get, you know, kind of three or four, but you, if you can't do that consistently, you're not going to have a drive, right? I mean, you, you're, you're usually compelled to try something else and it almost felt like anything else they tried just wasn't going to go. Uh, the, the, the Londonderry front just wasn't going to allow it. It was very impressive. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. I, uh, <laughs> I was looking over schedules to see who's who's got what coming up because this is a weird week where there's teams that have a lot of like Londonderry is at Chelmsford, uh, Concord's at Rutland. Um, you know, so both out of state games there. Um, yeah. You know, so I was I was going to say something about it. Oh yeah, now they've got well yeah they've got games that I I don't know anything about either of those teams so. Uh, both teams will, you know, have interesting matchups. Um, you know, BG also has has uh, Scarborough uh, this weekend, and and Dover hosts Sanford. Wyndham hosts uh, Malden Catholic. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a funky week with uh, with some strange games coming up. But uh, sorry about that. that's what I was that's how I got distracted. There was looking over schedules while you were no, I you were you're right. It's a weird it is it's a weird week coming up. Uh, but yeah, I want to mention, um, you know, talk about that that Bedford BG game a little bit because I honestly like seeing both of those teams in the Jamboree the week before. Obviously, New Bedford was going to be very, very good. Uh, I was impressed with what I saw from BG in that scrimmage. I thought they might be able to get, you know, a little something going just because of that passing attack. You know, I know Bedford's front on defense is very good. Uh, and and BG's line is is a little bit younger, a little bit inexperienced. So, but but still, you can kind of negate some of that with a with a quick passing attack. And and it looks like that that just wasn't uh, wasn't really the case there in that game. And then you you know you look at Bedford, and the stats like aren't crazy stats. They just look like it was a steady kind of butt kicking there for for Bedford. But you had uh, Brody Helton with 209 yards rushing and four touchdowns. Uh, yeah, in a forty to three win. So, you know that was may- maybe one of the questions for Bedford was like who was gonna take over that that kind of lead back role. Um, Question know, has been answered. Yeah, looked it certainly looks like. I mean, I know they have you know another guy back there in, in Ledger Russell who's got a lot of experience uh, with with the Bulldogs, but um, Helton stepped up and and delivered a, a you know a huge performance uh, for the defending champs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I felt that way as well. You know, the other one I think is worth noting, Joe, before we move off of Division One, is the uh, the rematch of that classic in the playoffs last year between Exeter and Timberlane. Right. Um, you know, started out, Timberlane jumped all over Exeter. Um, I think it was 14 to, to 3. Uh, two quick touchdowns, really good, yeah, you know, sort yeah. of in-sync offense. You know, new quarterback in there for Timberlane. And then all of a sudden, Exeter just took control um, and it ended up being a 40, a decisive 45 to 14 win. So 42 unanswered points for Exeter. Um, and, and what I saw was they just, they just dominated um, up front and, and, you know, Timberlane has some pretty good players up front. Um, you know, most impressive is Nick Devlin, who the broadcasters had mentioned a couple times. I was like, I got to watch this guy. Uh, he's a center and a and a defensive lineman senior for Timberlane, and he's really good. He may be one of the better offensive linemen I've seen in the state. 
Um, you know, he was getting the best of the of, of the Exeter nose guard quite a bit. But yeah, Exeter looked really impressive. I mean, again, it, it's it's almost like they sort of had to wake up a little bit. They got shell shocked kind of early on, but once they got into gear and got going, um, they were able to run the ball at will. They could throw the ball when they needed to. You know, typical what you expect out of Exeter when they're doing really well. But um, that's kind of a statement game because I think Timberlane's a, a pretty good football team again this year. Um, but Exeter kind of ran away with that one. Pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah, that was an interesting score to follow, uh, you know, as I was at Pinkerton, um, you know, just because of what you said, Timberland got out to that early lead and then uh, Exeter came right back. And Exeter got it has an interesting game, another another home game this week against Nashua North, who, uh, you know, had kind of a, a just a, a workmanlike win, I think, over Merrimack. Uh, but that started out in kind of a weird way, right? It was uh, what a four nothing game for North. Four to nothing, right? Uh, on a pair of safeties, so that's uh, yeah, you don't see that. That's that's one of those things. It's like, I you know, I wish we had maybe some better record keeping. Like, has there ever been, you know, a, a, an NHIA game that's that started four nothing or that had a score of four nothing at one point? Uh, I've I've been around between playing and coaching. What, longer than I'd like to admit, <laughs> I, 33 years, 34 years, something like that, you know, it was, and it was almost continuous, right? I mean, I kind of went sure. right from playing into, into coaching uh, while I was in college, and I never remember a four to nothing score. Or just in, let in, alone two safeties in a game. Right. Yeah, I, I can't remember that. Um, you know, yeah, Mer- Merrimack was really the victim of some extremely bad field position for their offense, especially in the first half, and they just you know, North could just put the pressure on, you know, you're, you're back against your own goal line inside your own three or four yard line. And, um, you know, I think Merrimack's offensive line is a little young, so they're probably still gelling. Both teams played great defense, but Merrimack couldn't overcome, uh, you know, some of the field position deficits that they got themselves in early, quite frankly. Uh, one thing that I, I want to mention, yeah, before we move on to, uh, division two, um, is those other other backs from Pinkerton uh, that stood out the other night? Um, you know, we mentioned uh, Misho with his hundred yard game, along with the kickoff returns. Uh, Matt Morrison was one of the other guys that was over ninety yards, had ninety one yards on twelve carries, and then a name that I think uh, the rest of the state is going to learn real quick if they haven't already is uh, uh, Ryan Catano. Uh He is a senior fullback and linebacker for the Astros. Uh, had 99 yards and three touchdowns on nine carries uh, for Pinkerton. Uh, yeah. Was also very good on defense as well. Um, you know, and, and what was, what was um, how he was able to have that success is it looks like, you know, early on Pinkerton is, is going to Misho, going to Morrison, who are both kind of more outside runners. They're getting around the ends, uh, and, and you could just kind of see – Wyndham's defense start to spread out a little bit, and that's when Pinkerton hammered them with uh, with with Cat. Uh, I'm sure if it's Catno or Catino, yeah, we'll go with Catno for now uh, until someone corrects us, which I'm sure they will. Um, but they were just hammering him up the middle, and he had a couple of, of runs. Uh, you know, ten. I got him with a run for run a ten, a run of thirty, and a run of twenty six up the middle, and then he had one of his touchdown runs from twelve yards. I mean, he just destroyed a Wyndham kid. Um, you know, the kid's standing there around the goal line looking to make a play, and, and he just got run over. 
Um, so he's got that, you know, that traditional, I think, Pinkerton fullback look to him. And, and uh, I think he's all three of them are poised for, for big years, if you ask me. Yeah, and that's that's really a, a scary thing if you're a Division One defensive coordinator uh, and you're looking at that, right? Because Pinkerton has always been, you know, they've always been a factory for running backs. Um, but their offense is extremely impressive when they have a really good fullback because of that reason, right? They've been known for the, you know, kind of like you said, the sort of speedy off tackle and 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 around the edge type of guys that can you know, make a guy miss or just really stretch you with a lot of speed, whether it's on the jet sweep or the, you know, double dive or, or sort of an off tackle power thing. But if they've got that fullback that they can just go guard to guard with, with traps and little down G schemes and things like that, man, that is tough to stop, especially when both halfbacks are really good too. Obviously your player of the week, you mentioned earlier, right? That, 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 that's, uh, you know, I saw Morrison play last year. I was impressed with him last year. Um, but if they have a fullback in their stable too, that offense is going to be incredibly effective this year. And Morrison too, I believe, just got cleared to play. Remember, he had an injury from lacrosse season uh, that kept him out all summer, uh, and I believe he was just cleared to play like maybe a week or so ago. So yeah, yeah, great to see him back out there. And and got to mention too, I mean, the, the key to all that though for Pinkerton is their offensive line. Um, you know, five seniors. Starting across there, uh, Ryan Placey, Adam Day, uh, Marco Centineau, uh, Luke DeLangley, and uh, Joseph Bukowski, um, you know, the five guys across the line there, all seniors, I believe all returning starters or, or at least returners. Uh, yeah. You know, so that's that's very key as well as having those experienced backs. And Bukowski was a kid I picked as a player of the right, week that, last that, year. Yeah, that had a, a huge game. I, was that against Concord, I think? Last year? I think it was. Yeah. 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 At Pinkerton. And, and, you know, it's funny. I, I will, I will mention this one last thing, cause you, you're mentioning how effective the offensive line at Pinkerton was, you know, um, coach Brian O'Reilly was on the Friday night lights, New Hampshire uh, jamboree special that they did a couple of weeks ago. They brought him in and, and uh, asked him a few questions, sort of interviewed him uh, cause he was there scouting. And, and, you know, he made a comment I thought was really interesting. You know, they, they were talking to him about his team and the makeup of his team and some of the other teams and what he thought about them. And he said, I, I forget how they got to it, but he was talking offensive line. And he said, you know, football is a lot different now than it was 15 years ago. Right. He said, it's really hard to get those those types of players. I think he meant your big traditional offensive yeah, line. Yeah. Um, he said, there's just those kids are just not they're not playing football anymore. They're not around. His point was that it's not as easy to, to find and keep and excuse me, and develop those type of guys. Um, which I think is ironic because, <laughs> because Pickerton has had some really good lines over the last sure, couple of years, yeah. but I also agree with him. Right. But, but it's also a testament to these teams that do do that like Pinkerton, like Exeter. Um, they're able to get those kids and make football interesting and rewarding for them. Um, and develop them, right? And and that's the hallmark of a really good coaching staff. So I, I did want to mention that because I thought his comments were really interesting because I agree with him uh, wholeheartedly. It's not easy to do. Um, but, you know, sort of the result of that is so when you see somebody doing it and doing it well, like they do at Pinkerton, uh, as one example, then that's that's really a testament to the program and to the coaching that's there. 
Well, uh, I think that uh, we'll move on to, to D2 on that note. Um, you know, and, and I guess that's kind of an interesting segue into uh, to where we wanted to start with D2 because uh, you had the two teams that were in last year's final, Sauhegan and Pelham, uh, both with commanding wins uh, to open the season. And I think there may be an example of, of what you're talking about there. You've got one team in Sauhegan that is more, you know, speed uh, and, and get up and go on offense. And you've got Pelham that's a little bit more of a bruiser, um, you know, te bruising team, you know, get up and, and be, you know, not that Sauhegan isn't physical, but Pelham's got some of those guys, I think, that you were talking about there, uh, you know, including uh, who's the big guy in the middle, uh, Memphis Patterson. Yeah. Them. Um, so, yeah, that's an interesting, you know, um, contrast there. And the two teams that, you know, we certainly expect to be in the mix, um, if not, you know, the favorites to get to that championship game again, both with, you know, very impressive wins. Uh, Sauhegan with a with a 53 nothing win over Hillsborough during Hoptonton and uh, Pelham with its uh, 49 nothing win over Manchester West. Yeah, and, and in fairness, you know, both Sauhegan and, and Pelham, obviously very good teams. Like you mentioned, they go about their business a bit differently on offense and defense. I think, uh, you know, Sauhegan is definitely built around speed and and quickness, right? And it's not to say that their linemen aren't big or strong because they are, but they their scheme is more about quickness up front, right? It's using angles and, and techniques and things to um, – you know, to be effective in the running game, whereas Pelham can maul you to death. And they're pretty good, by the way, pulling and doing those different types of things. But in fairness, you know, that they that was those were tough draws for West and sure. um, oh, yeah. Hillsborough Deering coming right out of the gate. You know, both teams have sort of um, struggled a little bit in terms of numbers and, and success over the last couple of years. Um, tough to be looking down the barrel of those guns coming out to week one. Um, but yes, very impressive win for both, uh, both, the uh, champ and the, and the runner up, you know, and it was an interesting, you know, I was, uh, of course doing the, the season this year with, with Sauhegan was at that game on Friday, uh, very interesting start for them. Um, you know, they, they come out, uh, on defense first and, 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 you know, force a punt, I think. Actually, Hillsborough Deering had, you know, went backwards uh, quite a bit on their first drive. Um, three and out, punted it away. So he can took over, you know, kind of uh, around midfield and uh, tried three passes to start the game, you know, and, and all three missed the mark. So it's, you know, you're looking at fourth down and they just turn around and hand the ball to, to J.J. Bright. And he, you know, breaks a couple tackles, makes a couple guys miss, and he's gone for a 55-yard touchdown. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think we were... You know, we were talking, um, you know, last weekend, uh, you know, about what it kind of reminded us of and, and, you know, not to maybe take too much of a leap here, but it's, it, it reminded us a little bit of Sauhegan back in the, you know, the, the mid-2000s there with uh, Sean Jellison, you know, where he would just, you know, I, I think the one, the one game I saw him actually play live in person, he had something like four carries, 200 yards and three touchdowns yeah and that was it that yeah. was his day yeah I, I remember going to a game and i'm not exaggerating when i say this we were scouting it was a playoff game uh, they might have been playing milford at sauhegan and it would go like uh first down screen pass you know one yard gain this, this is sauhegan on offense now 
Second down, throw the ball downfield incomplete. Third down, try a crossing route incomplete. Yeah, I'm sorry. Second down, you know, no yard gain. So so it's third and nine now. Third and nine, hand the ball to Dillison, 11-yard gain, first down. And that was like every single sequence that they would run, right? It right. would be like, you know, quarterback sack, uh, throw the ball deep incomplete, give the ball to Jellison on third and long, first down. And then they would start all over again. Throw a screen, throw the ball, give the ball to Jellison, first down. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. imagine if they just did that, you know, but uh, I get it, right? Like you're, you're trying to, you're trying to execute your game plan. You're trying to move the ball around to different guys, trying to get the defense to react in certain ways, but it was just funny watching it. Right. Cause you're looking at that saying like, they could do that every play if they wanted to. And I'm pretty sure they know that, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it, it may have had that feel a little bit yeah. to it. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, bright bright's numbers to end it for the day. I mean, he, it was just the first half. He had five carries, 94 yards, three touchdowns. And one of those carries was for minus three yards. Right. Uh, and, and he, and that doesn't include, uh, a, you know, he took a, a short screen pass for like a 30 yard touchdown where he, was all over the field uh, that ended up getting called back because of a, an eligible lineman downfield. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a huge game. Uh, Romy Jane, uh, as I mentioned, uh, a rough start. I, I had him start an 0 for 6, uh, but then he completed five of his next six passes for 145 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and two of those to, uh, to Connor Cassidy he had two touchdowns on his, uh, of both of his, or excuse me, had two catches both for touchdowns. Yeah, so and that just, had to just an explosive performance for for Sahidi. Yeah, and it had to be a little demoralizing for um, for the Red Hawks, right? Because there's not going to be many games where Romy Jane is going to have a slow start. Yeah, yeah. right. That that's not going to happen. Um, a premier quarterback in the state, easily, right? And you know, so you get an 0 for six start, regardless, right? Whether it's drop passes or whether he was missing the mark, doesn't matter. You're, you're not going to get that out of Sauhegan very often. So it had to be a little demoralizing to know that, you know, Romy wasn't maybe having his best, you know, first quarter or first half or whatever. And, and you know, you're still, was it 45 nothing at half? It was something like that for, I think, 47. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, uh, that's got to hurt a little bit because you, you got to know that's not going to happen too often if you're an opposing team. You know, and, and uh, yeah, like I said, a rough night for, for the Red Hawks. But, you know, I, I was I, looking at them. They have, you know, I feel like they have decent numbers, um, you know, for being a, a D2 program. Um, you know, they've got some size. It looks like they've got some athletes. You know, and looking at their schedule the next couple of weeks, they've got Hollis Brookline and then Pembroke back to back. You know, so some opportunities there to, to yep. maybe turn this, turn it around at least for a couple of weeks uh, before the schedule gets much tougher. Um but I, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's a tough way to start the season because I'm, you know, they look like they can be a competitive team. Just uh, really hard to gauge that against a team like Sauhegan with so much returning. Right. Right. Um, yeah, we did. And any other thoughts on uh, on Stark's uh, comeback there? I know we did a lot of talk of them during our, our team of the week, but, um, you know, I I. Uh, I mean, that sets them up really nicely. You know, we, we looking at ahead, you know, we can always or never, never, uh, never too early, I think, to start talking about playoffs in football. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you just compare it to what they did last year where what they started out losing a couple games and then ended up finishing, I think, what, uh, four and five. 
you know, this year, um, you know, getting that early win certainly helps kind of get the ball rolling and maybe turn things in a different direction, even with, you know, Hanover and Pelham ahead of them the next two weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there's not a lot of easy ones on that schedule these first three weeks for Stark. But yeah, that's that was precisely my thought is how important getting that first win, especially over a quality program like Milford really is right because what happened last year and you know, i think we said this a couple of weeks ago was we we said quote unquote you a team like stark that quote unquote beats all the teams they should again whatever that means but you know you kind of when you look at it and you say oh well you know common opponents and whatever right it's kind of what they did last year which is a good way to take a step forward from where they were the previous year but now you could argue hey they've they've got that that first quality win against a really good traditionally really good opponent out of the way you know, so th- does that help them break the barrier to be five and whatever or six and whatever now? Right. So that's my only thought on how important that week one game was. And I, I think the flip of that is it puts Milford in a, in a very early precarious position. Sure. Milford goes over to play Sauhegan this coming Friday night. Um, and they could be looking at zero and two. Well, depending they, on how that game goes. Now that's a rivalry game, so anything can happen in that sure. game. Uh, and we've seen that year in and year out. It's it's really become a great game after being one-sided for a long time. Um, but that that makes this game for Milford really important because the Spartans are not going to want to go into an 0-2 hole to start this season. Well, they got, yeah, Sauhegan at home this week, then they go to Hanover, and then they're at Bo, uh, which we'll get to that in a second. But uh, right. that's, a, that's, you know... I think we said this. I think they had a similar start last year as well, and and we said the same thing that this is, you know, the, it and it ended up being kind of a make or break for them because they, you know, they end up finish five and four, but end up missing the playoffs last year. Right. Uh, yeah. It, it talk. Uh, speaking of Bo, um, you know, kind of a surprise or an upset, uh, you know, for them this past week, they go to Sanborn and and fall twenty eight to fourteen. Uh, you know, there's, you know, we were talking, expecting Sanborn to be a better team this year. They had a lot of players back, um, and it looks like, you know, that might actually be the case. They get that huge win over Bo, uh, uh, Brandon Surrett, the, the, the quarterback for, for Sanborn with 231 yards passing and three touchdowns, uh, all three of those touchdowns, uh, going to, uh, Ben Cardoso, who had 167 yards receiving, um, you know, so a huge, huge game for uh, for Sanborn, and and what a great way to start the season for them. Uh, you know, and, and and finally, I think you know we expected, or we thought a couple of years ago after I think they ended the season with that win over over Plymouth. Yeah. Um, thought it would give them some momentum, and then last year, just never got going. And uh, and certainly, like I said, a great way to start, and and an interesting stretch for them coming up. They play four of their next five games on the road, starting at. Uh, Guilford Belmont this Saturday. That'll be a very interesting game. Yeah, and and I, you know, definitely a surprise. You know, I guess you could call it an upset. I mean, we both had said in our preview that Sanborn had a lot coming back, but it was just a matter of, you know, you you can have a lot coming back, but if your previous season wasn't that successful, it was how well, you know, physically, mentally, you know, experientially, do you do you do you come along with those kids that are returning, right? You don't want to kind of put them out there again and okay, but they're kind of the same as they were last year. Um, so, but still, even with all that coming back, definitely uh, I would call that an upset victory um, over 
over what we we both know is a pretty good bow team. Um, but what's more surprising is the way they got it done because Sanborn <clears throat> traditionally uh, a pretty hard running team. Yeah, yeah. But they're a ground and pound type of team. Um, and to get it done through the air like that, uh, that's 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 a surprise, right? And a, and a, a pleasant one if you're a Sanborn fan, probably kind of an unpleasant one if, you, if you've got Sanborn on your schedule in the next couple of weeks because um, if they can put up those kind of numbers against what is traditionally a very well-coached bow defense, then they could be very dangerous in a dimension that you wouldn't expect them to be this year. I, I will say uh, one of us did actually pick Sanborn to win that game, so maybe I know. <laughs> I, you know, I'm pretty sure you kicked my butt in the in the picks uh, this week. I I took a couple risks, although I picked Stark and you, you did, did. You did have Stark. I did not. I did not end that one. Yeah. You made up for it by making them your team of the week, though. <laughs> but yes, uh, I. Uh, yeah, I think you kind of kicked my butt. I. I uh, well, it's week one. I'll have we to see a, how it all shakes out. We got a lot of we got a lot of ways to go. A long way. It's to a go. long season. I'm right. sure I will screw up uh, quite a few <laughs> more picks at that point. Uh, all right, let's move on to uh, to Division Three uh, because uh, there was uh, what could have potentially been our, our, a game of the week there uh, in terms of uh, coming down to the wire. You had uh, Monadnock coming back to uh, to beat Fall Mountain in overtime, twenty to eighteen, um, in a game that it sounded like Monadnock had chances. Um, you know, to go up early or, or at certain points and just couldn't capitalize and Fall Mountain kind of just, you know, hung in there and, and eventually, you know, I think they were up 6 nothing. I don't, um, I'm not exactly sure of how it worked out from there, but they were, I mean, they were up, you know, going into, I, I think it was like 12-6 or 12 nothing. Monadnock comes back and scores with, with a minute and 14 left to tie the game at 12 uh, they don't get. They go for two. Don't get it. Um, Fall Mountain uh, gets the ball to start overtime. Scores, uh, but doesn't get the conversion. Monadnock gets out. Uh, has its opportunity. Uh, you know, Chase Elliott scores one of his two touchdowns in the overtime, and then Caden Smith runs in the conversion, and uh, and Fall Mountain takes that win. Um, just a, an incredible game, and and huge for for the Huskies. Um, you know, in terms of. You know, trying to—I mean, we—we—they're perennially, you know, one of the the three teams that we expect to be in the playoffs in Division Three every year, uh, and just just kind of crushing for Fall Mountain because I mean, how much of a difference does that make if they pull out a win in that game? Uh, yeah, it was a, again, it's kind of like what we were saying about the, uh, you know, the the significance of some of these openers, like the the Milford Stark game, right? I mean, these are two potential playoff teams in that division. Um, yeah, it, it is a big win for Monadnock, especially in the way that they did it. Right. I mean, uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that, um, you know, with the game tied and it was, it, was it double overtime? I'm not sure. I thought it was just one overtime, but it could, yeah, been, maybe it, it was just one overtime. overtime, but you know, the, the Elliot scores on, on first down from 10 yards out, right. Bang, two point conversion, walk off win. Right. I mean, oh my God, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> that that's that's crushing but you know the other thing though is that if you're if you're fall mountain you've got to be a little reassured with that right i mean monadnock a perennial power fall mountain's kind of been on the verge the last couple few years um meaning you know they're they're a much improved team over where they were three or four years ago um they've been a little bit more consistently competitive but you went out there and you you darn near took it 
against a team that really is one of the measuring sticks in that division, right? You look at Trinity, you look at Campbell, you look at Monadnock typically. Those are those are the teams. Um, so if you're Fall Mountain, I think you've got to feel good about that, even though it, it certainly had to be heartbreaking to lose in that manner. Um, like we were just saying when we were joking about the, you know, the picks this year, right? I mean, there, there's a lot more football to be played. Fall Mountain can bounce back from that very quickly and still make a great season of it if they're able to be that competitive with a, a quality program like Monadnock. You know, you mentioned those two teams, too, that were in, you know, last year's championship game in Trinity and Campbell. We expect them. They both got off to great starts this year. Uh, in week one and I guess maybe the good news for Fall Mountain is is that they don't have to they don't play either of those teams until the final two weeks of the regular season so like yeah like you said a lot of time to uh to turn things around to get themselves right and maybe even string together a bunch of wins uh you know heading into you know what what is going to be an interesting finish to the season yeah absolutely you know they've got time to recover now a little bit you know obviously not to say look ahead but they've got a chance to sort of lick their wounds a little bit over this one and then get right back to it this week. Well, the other game we kind of uh, highlighted in, in Division Three, I think, last week was uh, Interlakes, Moultonboro, and Stevens because that game uh, also last last year, that was the first game of the year, and it ended up having big playoff implications when it came to tiebreakers and seeding and records and all that, uh, you know, with Interlakes, Moultonboro getting in as the four seed last year. Uh, well, they do it again. They get a 27 20 win over Stevens. Um, you know, so they've got maybe a, a leg up there now um, as, you know, potentially, um, you know, looking ahead to, to the postseason. But of course, like we said, a long way to go. And now Interlakes turns around and they've got the gauntlet now. They've got Trinity, Monadnock, and Campbell over the next three weeks. Yeah, you know, I, that is a gauntlet. But one of the interesting things that, that I was thinking about as I, as I saw, I was looking at their schedule, is that they didn't get caught looking ahead. Sure, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I actually, uh, t- you know, again, making fun of the picks, I had picked Stevens for that game because part of me was thinking about that gauntlet and saying, like, maybe they'll get caught. You know, Stevens is a quality program. Maybe they'll get caught looking ahead a little bit here. To, to week two, three, and four, what they have to go through. And they didn't, right? So that's sign of a mature, disciplined football team, um, that they won a close one against a quality opponent heading into what is sure to be, um, you know, a, a very important uh, three-week stretch here, obviously, with that with that lineup coming at them. So pretty impressive win for Interlakes, if, if not just because the win itself, but also because they didn't get caught looking ahead to you know, what the, what the next three weeks is going to be, um, you know, signifying for them. And, uh, we, we can't, uh, we can't go move on without talking about, uh, mentioning Convals, uh, what was it? A, uh, 25 to six win over Kearsarge, uh, for Conval, you know, it's been uh, a rough stretch of things the last, I don't know, five, six years. Uh, they were one of the few teams that didn't play in 2020, uh, you know, during the, the you know, change to COVID year, um, you know, going back to 2018 uh, with that win last week, they're just five and 32 over those those years. They're they're consistent, though. They're one and eight. They've been one and eight every year um, that they've right. played, uh, you know, but um, and, and then obviously dropping down to Division three. This is their I think their third year in D3. So they will be eligible for the playoffs. Um, but but getting that win in a game that was tied at six going into the fourth quarter, 
that that Convell comes back and, and scores 19 points to to win uh, over Kearsarge. So congrats to to the Cougars for getting a win over the Cougars. Well, yeah, and and I think too, you know, I mean, that was the other game that I thought of where I, you know, when we mentioned at the beginning, oh, it's so tough to pick a, a team of the week. Um, you know, I mean that that's a quality win because Kearsarge has, you know. Th- they had six returning starters on both sides of the ball coming back, you know, so it's not like Kearsarge was in a rebuilding mode and Conbell happened to catch them on week one. And, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, for coach Harris and his crew over there uh, in Peterborough, that's a pretty good win against what's, what's been a a tough team, at least in certain dimensions, right? They've been a, you know, Kearsarge has been a pretty physical team the last few years um, and, and been able to put some good, you know, some good little stretches together. Um, that's got to feel good, right? In, in much the same way that I was talking about the Goffstown win um, and, and how important that is in week one. Um, I, I, was, I was really happy for Conval to hear that. Um, it, was, it was unexpected, to be sure. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think that's a, it's a great thing for that program. Again, you don't, you don't want to see these programs struggle. You want to see them do well. Um, and it's so easy to struggle when things have not traditionally gone well, right? It's so it's, it's a lot harder to get good kids out, to get them to buy in, to get them to work hard in the off season. Um, if this is a sign of things to come for Conville, I think that's a great thing. All right. We're going to, I guess, what touch a little bit here on, uh, on division four before we wrap up. Uh, they of course are uh, starting their season uh, this week at division four, only playing uh, seven games uh, having a bye week that first week, and then they'll have another bye week, I think. It's either week seven or week eight, you know, as we get towards the end of the year. Um, you know, and, and the last couple of years, it's been, you know, it, it, it was Fall Mountain uh, in that championship game a few years ago, but uh, the last, last year it was Summersworth, it was Newport. Um, those are the teams that, um, you know, kind of look like they have the most returning as well. Uh, I know our, our colleague uh, Roger Brown at uh, Union Leader New Hampshire Football Report had some D4 notes um, last week about how last ge- last season there were only two games, two games total for the entire Division Four schedule that were decided by seven points or less, uh, which is just, I, I don't, I mean, that's remarkable um, yeah. that, that to have games that are, you know, even between teams that aren't, you know, at the same level as Summersworth and Newport, um, that they're not that close. So uh, hopefully that changes a little bit this year. But I guess the team to kind of keep an eye on, too, is, is Raymond in, in Division Four. Uh, also uh, got a lot returning there, looking like maybe a little bit more of a, a you know, kind of run-and-gun uh, offense for them. And then uh, Bishop Brady, uh, a team, they were a playoff team last year and certainly uh, – the opportunity to get back there again this year yeah i you know i think i think everybody's hung, hungry for a little bit more parity in division four sure uh, you know I, I and i don't like the idea of okay well maybe we need a fifth division and all that kind of no, stuff you know like, I, I that, would agree with you on that <laughs> yeah I, I just don't i don't think that's helpful right so i i i really think it's better for new hampshire football when there's a, there's three or four other teams in division four that you can talk about as being legitimate, you know, close contenders to, to really what's been kind of dominated if I'm not mistaken, right. By, by Summersworth and Newport over the last three or four years, it, you know, at least over the last two cycles, right. It seems like those teams have been the ones that are 
typically in the driver's seat and in great position. Um, and, and like you said, there's been a sprinkling of some of these other teams that make pushes. But, you know, if Raymond and, um, and, and some of these other teams can kind of push a little bit more this year, I just, I, I just think that'll be a really good thing for Division Four and for New Hampshire football. Absolutely. One thing to note too, uh, the uh, like I said, this was supposed. This is the first weekend for Division Four, but there is one game that's been moved. Uh, I'm not sure why, um, but the uh, Summersworth at Newfound game uh, is not going to be played this week. It's been pushed back to uh, what I mentioned was that bye week, uh, in, you know, mm. in late October. So those two teams uh, won't be starting this week. They'll be getting started uh, a week from Friday. Um, hmm, and then, that's and yeah, yeah, and then playing straight through, which is, um, yeah, I, like I said, I have no idea why. I just saw that pop up, uh, and was looking over the schedule just now, and and, and rem- was reminded of that. Um, but yeah, that's so. So if you're a, a Summersworth or a Newfound fan, don't uh, don't show up for the game this week because there isn't one. Yeah, I'd love to know more about that. I wonder if it was if if it was an officials availability thing or. Oh yeah, it's possible. Know, I, I I'm having flashbacks yeah. to, I'm having flashbacks <laughs> to two or three years ago where it's like you know oh, right right yeah you know, every, like oh did they have to reschedule every COVID we had, to, had to check what was going on. Right. Yeah. Right. And then usually by the time the games you know we did the podcast early in the week and then by the time the, you know the games were being played it was uh, it had changed again. Right. Whatever we had said in terms of uh, that was was already outdated, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I don't know unless you've got other any other uh, burning thoughts there that you got to get out. Uh, I think that might wrap us up for the week. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, like like you pointed out, it is kind of a weird week two in um, a couple of the divisions just because of all the out of state sort of. And, and I think you mentioned earlier, Joe, but correct me if I'm wrong those out of state sort of crossover type games, as we call them sometimes they're, they're not, they, they don't count right they towards are, like nope. the, the point rating or the records or any of that, you know, playoff seeding sort of situations. No, those, those games don't count. Uh, there's a couple games that are, you know, between division one and two teams this year too. Those are not going to count yeah. um, towards point rating. So it's just, just in division games. Yeah. So that makes it kind of a weird week. Cause there's some really intriguing matchups there but you know at the end of the day they're 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 sort of glorified scrimmages right you could you know you could have any number of outcomes and and you know it's not going to affect your season so it's kind of kind of an interesting week but 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 has a weird feel to it yeah absolutely all right we'll see how it goes uh, as we always do right yep yep looking <laughs> forward to another great weekend yeah. So and and just a reminder as well, uh, we will be back to our regular schedule next week. So look for the podcast Tuesday morning uh, next week and and uh, moving forward. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk to you then, uh, Mike. Thanks again for for doing this this week. Yep, had a good time as always, Joe. Thank right. you. And uh, I he is Mike Lockman. I'm Joe Marcellina. Enjoy the games this week. Have a nice week, and we will talk to you next week.